pray with me, please? Give me Jesus, Lord. Give me Jesus. You can have all the rest. Just give me Jesus. Amen. Are you aware of the fact that when Abraham Lincoln delivered the Gettysburg Address, he added two words to that address which were not in the address as it was originally written? In the notes Lincoln wrote down in preparation for that address, he included the line that this nation shall have a new birth of freedom. However, when he actually delivered the address and he came to that line, he said that this nation under God shall have a new birth of freedom. He added the two little words, under God. Well, that phrase, this nation under God, has become so much a part of our national vocabulary and our national understanding that we actually added it to our Pledge of Allegiance to the flag. However, when Abraham Lincoln first used those words, it was most unusual. You see, Lincoln was declaring for all the world to hear his deep abiding conviction that the destinies of all the nations, including this one, are determined by God. I have no doubt that Lincoln was influenced in his thinking by the very eloquent words and phrases of Psalm 33. Permit me, please, to try today to show you what I mean. The psalmist first declares that God directs the nations. Listen to the words. By the word of the Lord were the heavens made their starry host by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the water into jars. He puts the deep into storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the people of the world revere the Lord. For he spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. God directs the nations. Now, I'm going to ask you to permit me, please, to try to flesh out those words for you by taking you right now on what I will confess to you is a sinfully quick tour through human history. It is a risky thing to do, but I'm going to do it anyway because I am trying to make a point. So hang on, here we go. God, wishing to make his voice and his will known in the world, chose a nation, Israel, to become the agent of his instruction. Israel, however, became a stiff-necked and proud people. They came to believe that because Israel was great, Israel had been chosen by God, when in fact exactly the opposite was true. Because Israel had been chosen by God, Israel became great. Ah, but the people of Israel would have nothing to do with that kind of thinking. And so God realized that Israel would have to be humbled. 
It was then that God raised up the Babylonian empire for just such a purpose as that. The Babylonians swooped down with a conquering army, captured the people of Israel, carted them away into slavery, where indeed they learned humility and subjection. However, the Babylonians themselves displayed no subjection or humility before the Lord at all. And as a result, in time, their great empire passed into history. This was accomplished through the rise of the Persian Empire. The Persians rose up and came with mailed fists and beat upon the brass gates of Babylon until they fell. And the Babylonian Empire was gone, and the Persian Empire was on the rise. However, the Persians became addicted to their power, and in time the Persian Empire too uh, fell into decay and disintegration. Ultimately, in spite of all its splendor and power, the Persian Empire disappeared into the mists of history. Now it was then that God decided that he would come to the people of this world in a new way. He wanted to walk with his people. He wanted to talk with his people. And so he chose to come into this world in human form in the person of Jesus Christ. Now, if that were going to succeed and be effective in its work of reaching the world, there would have to be developed a language which would begin to spread across the earth, thus easing the communication among the peoples of the world. And so it was that the Greek civilization arose. God put it into the mind of a young Greek named Alexander that the world needed to think Greek and speak Greek. And so Alexander set out to conquer the world. And for all practical purposes, that's exactly what he did. Unfortunately, Alexander became intoxicated with his power. He began to see himself as being God until a little wine washed him away. Ah, but God had done what God set out to do, for now there was indeed a language abroad in the world which could capture the words of God spoken by Jesus Christ, and that language could be readily heard and understood by the people of the earth. And so it was then that God sought to bring the nations of the world into an unprecedented unity. The Greeks were laid aside and the Romans were brought to the fore. Under the Romans, uh, there was created in the world a commonwealth of nations unprecedented in human history to that time. Roman rule, Roman power, Roman peace, Roman law, Roman roads, Roman ships, Roman seaways tied one country to another to another and thus made possible the spread of the gospel of Jesus Christ with extraordinary speed and effectiveness. Ah, but Rome never fully bowed the knee to the Lord. And so the great Roman Empire crumbled. Nothing left today except just ruins for tourists to see. The people whom God used to finally bring down the Roman Empire were the savage Huns from the north. However, these people, in spite of their animal skin clothing and their rough-hewn exterior, 
possessed inside a deeply ingrained but undeveloped love for deep thoughts and higher aspirations. It was that love which led ultimately to the creation of the great universities of Germany. And there Christian scholars came from all over the world. There they began to articulate the great solid beliefs of the Christian faith. And from there they began to spread those beliefs out to the civilized world, both west and east. Ah, but the story of the Germanic Empire is not so bright and beautiful because the Germanic Empire made the mistake of pushing God off the throne in life and worshiping instead the God of materialism. And consequently, the story of the Germanic Empire is a story of great decline. It was the Creator's design at that point to bring front and center onto the stage of history the people known as the Angles and the Saxons, the Anglo-Saxons, the Druids set aside their animal sacrifice, the Celts began to carry the cross of Jesus Christ, and Angoland, or as we call it, England, became the first great colonial empire in the world. And that colonial empire spread until it quite literally encircled the globe. Now, wherever the English went, they not only took the flag, they also took the Bible. However, in time, the English became more concerned with the acquisition of gold than with the extension of the gospel. And as a result, the great British Empire, upon which once the sun never set, is remembered now only in our history books. It was at that point in the flow of human history that God chose to forge a new people, a new nation, a nation like no other nation which had ever been on the face of the earth. This nation would be formed by all of the people of the world. And so it was that God brought men, women, and children from every land on earth to this land. And so much was that the case uh, that speaking of this land, the great writer Herman Melville could say, we are not a narrow tribe. Our blood is like the flood of the great Amazon River, a thousand noble currents sweeping into one mighty flood. We are not so much a nation as we are a world. Herman Melville was exactly right. In the creation of this nation, it is absolutely clear that God was developing His strategy, fulfilling His purpose, and determining His destiny for His people in the world. No one has ever said it better than the great Phillips Brooks of Boston who said, I cannot see how one can be an American even if one is not a Christian and not catch something with regards to God's purpose for this great land. How true. How absolutely true. There you are. A flow. A 
a flow through human history painted, I know, in ridiculously broad and sweeping strokes. And yet, dear friends, I would contend with you, whether it is done broadly or narrowly, you look at the history of humankind and you cannot help but see the words of the psalmist shining through. Let the earth fear the Lord. Let the people of the world revere him. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. Yes, God directs the nations. Ah, but the psalmist also declares that the nations depend upon God. Again, I ask you to listen to the words. The Lord foils the plans of the nations. He thwarts the purposes of the peoples. But the plans of the Lord stand firm forever, the purposes of his heart through all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people he chose for his inheritance. Dear friends, can you ever find a more vivid or a more significant illustration of those words than the story of America? You will understand, I hope, if I speak passionately now about this nation I so dearly love. Henry David Thoreau once recommended that we ought to begin each day by praying, Lord, I thank thee that I have been born. It's a noble prayer. But I have to tell you that whenever I pray that prayer, I always add some words to it. I pray, Lord, I thank thee that I have been born and that I live in America. Mind you, I would never disparage people who live in other lands, not for a single moment. Never would I do that. But it is because my heart is in America that America is in my heart. Christopher Columbus, when he arrived here, thought that he had found paradise. Ah, but you and I know that America is not paradise. We know that paradise will be found only on the other side of death. And yet I would suggest to you that there have been times in the history of this land when we have come close to being paradise. There have been times in our history when we have been so acutely aware of God's guiding hand that we have received the full measure of God's blessing upon our national life. Ah, but then there have been other times in our history when that has not been true, other times when we have not trusted God, when we have relied too much upon our own resources, when we have fought too hard for our own desires. And in fact, I would suggest to you that it seems to me at least that we are in a time like that in this nation today. We have become a nation, it seems to me, where Patrick Henry's great and noble cry, give me liberty or give me death, has been shortened to just give me. It seems to me that we have become a people who have forgotten that freedom does not mean the license to do as we please, but rather it means the liberty to do as we ought. It seems to me that we have become a nation where anything goes, forgetting history's clearest, most unmistakable lesson, that in a nation where anything goes, sooner or later, everything is gone. Mark this down. God is not so genially tolerant as to be morally indifferent. God has lifted nations. God has lowered nations. 
God did not run out of ideas after thinking up America. God can remove us from the flow of human history just as surely as Babylon or Persia or Greece or Rome. For God's purpose and God's truth will prevail in this world with America's help or without it. And therefore today, on this Independence Day weekend, I call us to remember who we really are. I call us to recapture the decencies of life which have been so smothered by the philosophy of anything goes. I call us to unite our voices together and to cry out for all the world to hear that we have had enough of cleverness without wisdom, brilliance without values, liberty without responsibilities, power without compassion. I call us to make a declaration of dependence. Oh yes, we have already a declaration of independence and I thank God for it. But now I call us to make a declaration of dependence upon God, to declare that we shall strive to live in this nation the way God desires for us to live. I call us to these things because I so love America. There is in me a deep and unabashed love for this land. I glory in her history. I exult in her freedom. I am wounded by her failures. I am hurt by her occasional blindness. I love America. I love becoming absorbed in reading about her great heroes and heroines. I love the sheer genius of her constitution and her bill of rights and her valiant attempt to make all of them work for all of the people all of the time. I love America. I am moved to tears when I sing her songs, when I see her flag, when I speak of her promise, and when I pray for her people. I love America. America testifies to the great and glorious truth that that nation which trusts upon the greatness of God is a nation whose own greatness shall be revealed through the story of human history. I love America. I know I cannot speak for you, only for me. I cannot articulate your hopes, only my own. Ah, but I can do that. And perhaps, just perhaps, by the grace of God, my thoughts and my hopes shall be yours as well. You see, dear friends, because I so love America, this is what I long for. This is what I hope for. This is what I pray for. America, first, only, always, one nation under God. Let me say it again. This is what I long for, what I hope for, what I pray for. America, first, only, always, one nation under God. If that were true in this nation today, then the promise of the psalmist would be fulfilled. Blessed is that nation whose God is the Lord. Soli Deo Gloria. To God alone be the glory. Amen.